Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to the official podcast of First Alliance Church in Great Falls, Montana, creating passionate followers of Christ. Today's message is from lead pastor John Reese. In his book, Sharing the Message, Bill Jones told the following story. Fred somebody, Thomas everybody, Pete anybody, and Joe nobody were neighbors. But they were not like you and me. They were odd people and most difficult to understand. The way they lived was a shame. All four belonged to the same church, but you could not have enjoyed worshiping with them. Everybody went fishing on Sundays or stayed home to visit friends. Anybody wanted to worship but was afraid somebody wouldn't speak to him. Nobody went to church. Really, nobody was the only decent one of the four. Nobody did the visiting. Nobody worked on the church building. Once they needed a Sunday school teacher, everybody thought anybody would do it. And somebody thought everybody should. Guess who finally did it? That's right, nobody. It happened that a fifth neighbor, an unbeliever, came to live among them. Everybody thought somebody should try to win him. Anybody thought somebody should try to win him. Anybody could have at least made an effort, but guess who finally won him to Christ? That's right, nobody. I'm certain you get the point of the story. In God's sovereign plan, he has ordained that in order for a person to respond in faith to the good news about Jesus, they must have someone share with them. Yes, in our contemporary world, we have widespread literacy creating the opportunity to use print media to share the gospel. And we also have radio and television, social media's platforms for spreading the message broadly. In the Alliance, we certainly use every method at our disposal to proclaim Christ and invite people to saving faith, but nothing is as effective or as meaningful as incarnational presence. As you learn from our friend's presentation today, the theme for Alliance missions for 2022 and 23 is be present. Be present. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this Jesus, the word who became flesh, said this in John 20.21, 20, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In explaining our focus on multiplying gospel presence, our National Alliance missions leaders had this to say. Incarnation was the miracle that saved us and is the model for our service. We may never be more like Jesus than when we're willing to be present for him among those who have not had a chance to hear the good news. We are most in step with the Lord of the harvest when we're willing to be and to assure the presence of his people among those who still need to hear. In the Alliance, we value what we've come to call incarnational ministry. When peoples of the world today remain without gospel access among them, God wants to send some of his to go to them, to become like them, and do among them what is needed for them to know Jesus and experience his love, mercy, and grace. Jesus calls each of us to be his presence among those around us. 
The workers you send and support extend his presence by living and serving among the lost and overlooked in some of the most spiritually desolate areas of the world. And those of us who remain behind extend his presence in our communities while sustaining our workers' presence through our faithful prayers and generosity. Incarnational ministry was also at the heart of the Apostle Paul's ministry. In his letter to the Romans, Paul asked the question, how will they hear? How will they hear? This question essentially invites us to consider how we might be present. In Romans 10, 14 and 15, that question, how will they hear, comprised one of four questions Paul posed in logical succession to drive home a point about saving faith. But before we get into those questions specifically, let's set up the context. Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, likely from Corinth around AD 57, while on his third missionary journey. He hoped to, to preach the gospel in Rome and make Rome a base for extending gospel ministry into Spain. So part of his reason for writing was to introduce himself to this church he had not planted himself and to share his intent with them. This was not his only reason for writing, however. After recent opposition from Jewish legalists or Judaizers in Galatia and Corinth, some scholars suggest that Paul continued to reflect on the gospel. As a result of those conflicts, word may have even spread that he was anti-Jewish and anti-law. So Paul used this letter to articulate and clarify the message he preached. His content in the later part of the letter also suggests that there were specific circumstances within the Roman church he wished to address. Apparently, he had been informed of divisions between a Gentile Christian majority and a Jewish Christian minority in the congregation. He sought, therefore, to unify these believers around the gospel and address questions about the relationship between law and grace, between the old covenant and the new covenant, between Jew and Gentile in the plan of salvation. Now, given those very suggestions for why Paul wrote Romans, consider now the bigger message of the letter. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which demonstrates the righteousness of God and his power to save all who believe, follows a redemptive historical pattern to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. All people, both Jews and Gentiles, have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, the standard of his holiness, thereby incurring wrath, the wrath of God, and the just sentence of death. Jesus Christ, sent from the Father, took on the full wrath of God for sin on himself on the cross so that those who believe in him could be justified or declared no longer guilty and could have peace with God through him. Those who have been justified have been freed from sin's domination and condemnation, liberating them to live into their identity as dead to sin and alive to God in union with Christ. Rather than indulging the flesh, God's grace invites believers into freedom from bondage to sin in order to become slaves of righteousness. 
And through the indwelling ministry of the Spirit, believers can have the assurance of their adoption as children of God and can experience life and victory over sin through the Spirit's power. This glorious gospel message, however, begged a question. So what about Israel? What does their rejection of Christ say about the plan and promises of God? What will happen to them? If God's promises to Israel are not certain, how can we trust his promises of security and victory to us in Romans chapter 8? Romans chapters 9 through 11 address this question, defending God's character by showing that Israel's rejection of Christ does not negate God's faithfulness. Israel bears the responsibility for their unbelief. And even though their present rejection is part of God's bigger plan, Israel is nonetheless culpable. Why? Because there's no difference between Jew and Gentile when it comes to salvation. Both are without excuse, and both must call on the Lord to be saved. In Romans chapter 10, Paul reminded the Roman church how anyone is saved. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Then by stringing together a series of Old Testament quotations from Psalm 19, Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 53 and 65, Paul argued that the Israelites had both heard and rejected the message. Then in Romans 11, Paul asserted that God had not rejected his people. Rather, in his sovereign plan, the faith of the Gentiles will spur a remnant of the Jews to jealousy leading to their salvation and to their incorporation with Gentiles into one people of God. Furthermore, Paul reminded the Roman believers that there's no room for boasting or animosity by either Jew or Gentile. The Jews cannot presume upon their heritage as children of Abraham, and the Gentiles cannot mistakenly assume that God has given up on his chosen people. The Jews, after all, were the elect recipients of God's promises, and the Gentiles have been grafted in as wild branches to a cultivated olive tree. No one has grounds for superiority because the salvation of anyone is an act of God's grace, not heritage or human effort or merit. Both believing Jews and believing Gentiles are saved by the grace of God through the cross of Christ alone. Within that broader context, Paul says something extremely important about God's pattern for redemption that remains applicable for our mission as a church today. Through a series of four rhetorical questions, all of which assume obvious answers, Paul lays out how God intends for the gospel message to be spread. So turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Romans 10, 14 and 15. Paul wrote, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. These questions basically ask, how can someone trust Christ for salvation if he hasn't heard the good news? 
the underlying indictment for the Jews is that they did hear and yet they still rejected. These questions, however, are more than just an indictment for Israel, but a challenge to us, the church, to proclaim Christ to the world. They are an invitation to us to be incarnationally present. Otherwise, how will anyone hear? Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The original context of Isaiah referred to those who would bring the good news of Israel's release from captivity and a restoration of God's favor. But Paul applies this prophecy to the heralds of the gospel. Why are their feet beautiful? Because the news they bring with them is beautiful. They are extending gospel presence. Let's take a closer look pretty quickly at at these questions Paul poses. He asks them in reverse order of the missionary pattern, starting with people calling on the name of the Lord and moving progressively backwards to where a preacher is sent. The answer to each question leads logically to its necessary precondition. So first he asks, how then will they call on on him in whom they have not believed? Obvious answer, they can't. In order for someone to call on the name of the Lord to be saved, they first have to know that there is a God who created them and who loves them. They need to know that they have rebelled against him and and need rescue from that rebellion. They need to know that God sent his son to die on the cross for them and then raise him to new life so that they could be saved. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Obvious answer, they can't. According to statistics published by the Alliance and other mission agencies, today, approximately 7,500 unreached people groups comprised of nearly 3.4 billion people remain throughout the world. These people have little or no access to the gospel and they will not hear if someone does not go to them. Some remain physically isolated. Others live under the threat of political opposition or religious persecution. Many have been driven from their homelands because of war, instability, or natural disaster and are struggling just to survive. They need to hear. Even in our own nation, according to Gallup statistics from 2021, around 21% of Americans do not identify with any religion whatsoever. As we become more secular as a culture, there are more and more people in our own neighborhoods who have not heard the gospel even one time. They need to hear. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Obvious answer, they can't. Simply put, a preacher is a herald, someone who communicates a message given to him. Preaching here is not just the role of a few vocational clergy, but a task given to all of us. We are all charged with proclaiming Christ. God has ordained that a verbal witness to Christ through the public preaching of the gospel and through personal evangelism will be the primary means of communicating the offer of salvation to unbelievers. Lifestyle evangelism alone is insufficient. 
Indeed, our message and our lives must align. And we must demonstrate how Christ has transformed us through how we live and how we love. But demonstration is a confirmation to, not a substitute for proclamation. And lastly, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Obvious answer, they can't. Crossing cultural and language barriers like you heard about today, that to communicate the good news requires a financial and spiritual investment of a group of supporters and intercessors. Missions is a team effort that requires participation of the whole church. Local and regional evangelism likewise requires participation of the whole church. Whether down the street or across the globe, this work really does require everybody. <laughs> In order for the task of going to take place, we need the whole church's support through giving, praying, and sending. Now, there's so much left to be said about God's pattern for mission and outreach in this passage. But for the brief time we have remaining, I want to focus on just one question. How are they to hear without someone preaching? How will they hear? We won't have time today to watch the video testimony, but you can find it online. The video testimony of a Thai woman named John. John and her family lived in a rural community in Northeast Thailand that has very little gospel presence. Yet the alliance is there, seeking to plant churches and mul multiply gospel impact. John's daughter and son-in-law started attending a church plant that was planted and led by Alliance International Workers, and they soon came to faith in Christ. When John saw the change Jesus had made in their lives, and especially in their marriage, she wondered, why is this God so good? Buddhism didn't change him, but Christianity certainly has. So she started attending church with them, and soon too she became a Christ follower. Shortly after John's conversion, her son-in-law died unexpectedly. Her daughter was so overcome with grief that she left that community for Bangkok. She just couldn't handle being at home with all those memories. And as much as Jan would miss, miss her daughter, she knew how much her grandchildren would need her, and she sensed a call from God to become an incarnational witness in their rural community. So John chose to stay. She received training through a leadership development program that international workers developed there, and now she operates a fruit cart where she can make a living to support her grandchildren while sharing the love of Jesus wherever she goes. Like the Apostle Paul, she asked the question, how will they hear? Then she responded to God's invitation to be present in rural Thailand. And just like we heard today, she was present, just one person at a time. I believe strongly that God is also inviting us to be present, not just because the Alliance gave us this mission theme for the year, but because this is what the Word says. So I want to get personal for a moment and extend that invitation to each one of us here. 
For some of you, God may be specifically moving in your heart to accept his call to go somewhere else where Christ is not known or worshiped. Maybe he has placed a burden on your heart for a specific place or group of people who desperately need an incarnational presence to point the way to the Savior. Will you go? Or maybe your burden isn't that specific yet. All you know is that you have read the Great Commission commission passages in the New Testament. You've learned of the need for more workers, and you've thought to yourself, why not me? And so far, you don't have a good answer to that question. Perhaps that's God's way of impressing upon you to take steps of obedience with open hands and a listening posture, waiting for him to direct your path. Will you say yes to Jesus? In either case, maybe you need to come forward during the closing song in just a few minutes as a way of saying, I am willing, Lord, and I need the prayers and support of my church family to take my next step with you, whatever that may be. And may I offer a challenge to you? I don't think our need for more workers to go means that God is not calling. I fear that some of us just may not be listening. Instead of assuming that God couldn't be calling you to go, will you at least be willing to ask him if he is? Lord, do you want me to go? If so, will you give me the courage to trust you even though I may be afraid and uncomfortable and I have no idea how this will work? By coming forward in a few moments, you're simply telling Jesus you're willing. The pastors and elders would love to come alongside you and pray with you to help you as you seek to discern God's will. For others here, you know that God has you here for a reason, at least for this season of your life. What we learn from this presentation today and from John's story is that being present for one person at a time is enough. Maybe that person is a neighbor, a coworker, a relative, or a friend. If you want the prayer support of your church family to be a more intentional, incarnational presence in that person's life, you also can come forward during the last song. Let us stand with you as you take your next step of obedience. Nothing is magical about the front of the church. It's just a way of saying, I'm in. I'm in. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward even now. And while they do, let us remember that Jesus did not love us from a distance. He brought God near. Those who follow Christ today do so because God's grace worked through the loving appeal of someone who followed his pattern of mission and became present with us, pointing us to the Savior. Now it's our turn. How can we be present? How can we be more engaged with our brothers and sisters who are called to go? How can we be more present with the people in our community who don't know Jesus? How can we be more present with the hurting, with the grieving, with the hopeless, with the lonely, with the self-reliant, and with the self-indulgent? All who need to know and experience that there is a God who loves them and who wants relationship with them. What is God impressing upon your heart this morning? Let's pray and then 
as the worship team leads us, come forward if you would like prayer for however God may be leading you to be present. And if there are elders here, others who want to come and pray with people, just come on up because we'll gladly accept that ministry. God, thank you so much that you are present with us. We pray that you would help us to extend gospel presence next door or somewhere else, wherever you call us. Give us the courage to say yes to you, however you may lead. We need you, Lord, in Christ's name, amen. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Follow us on social media to keep up to date with church news and events.